0: you always remember the good movies. And the bad ones, you wish you could forget. But this story is about a bad movie I couldn't stop thinking about for the last two years. From the opening credits,
1: I knew it was going to be bad.
0: It's got some of the meanest online reviews I've ever read. A nearly unwatchable mess.
1: My cat puked close to the end of
2: this. That was more entertaining than this whole neon-euro mess.
0: It's a cheesy action movie that went straight to video in 1997 called Crazy Six. Crazy Six? Six, Six-one, born in my family. And you're crazy? A little bit. It's set in post-communist Eastern Europe, and Rob Lowe stars as a thief who's also a crack addict. I want to stop smoking rock.
1: Real bad.
0: When he's not doing drugs, he's part of this convoluted plot to steal a vial of plutonium. Plutonium. Mario Van Peebles plays a villain with a pet chihuahua and a sweater. Ice-T is in it, too. He looks unhappy the whole movie, and Burt Reynolds shows up in a cowboy hat.
2: Some people are born to be busted.
0: It's confusing. It's ridiculous. And a lot of people blame it on the writing. One of those low-budget films with some names and a weak script. The script is dumb. Like, holy fucking shit, why bother, Ben?
1: The cast is full of recognizable faces, and all are capable of giving great performances, but the script gives them nothing.
0: I mean, they're not wrong. This might be the worst movie I've ever seen. But none of these reviewers know what I know. That buried inside the script are secrets my uncle hid from our family. And I only discovered them by accident.
2: Crazy six.
0: I'm Maya Lynn Sugarman. This is Magnificent Jerk, the true story of a fake story about a real life. Episode one, the screenplay. Mom, well, looking here? It's Maya. Hi. It was December fifth, twenty twenty, the last full day of my grandmother's life. Hi, Hi, Papa. Is it okay to? Oh yeah. 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 Hi, Papa. So even. Oh, it's so nice to
1: see you. I love you so much,
0: Papa. It means maternal grandmother in Cantonese. She lived in a second-floor condo in Oakland. My two aunts, Esther and Joanne, were there too. They'd been taking care of her for the last few weeks.
1: What does she used to say Louise So you
0: the jewel more. What does that mean? That means she dotes on this girl. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She used to. I lived on the know. other side of the country, in DC. I moved there a few years ago for a job at the Washington Post. But as a kid growing up in Oakland, I used to come to Papa's house every week for dinner. I remember the last bits of daylight coming through the window as she hovered over the stove, tending to multiple dishes at once. Papa cooked every single day. She made sweet and sour roast duck with chunks of pineapple in it. Jars of preserved eggs filled her spare bathtub. She stewed bean curd puffs with cabbage and used thin egg noodles for her chicken chow mein. Sitting next to her that day, I could still smell her cooking. It's like the walls absorbed it. Everything in the room looked familiar, but also totally different. All the furniture was pushed aside, medical supplies covered tabletops. And there she was, Papa, laying in a hospital bed where the couch used to be. The woman who used to make the twenty minute walk to and from Chinatown for groceries could barely turn her head to look at me.
1: I think she did yeah. real, she just realized that you were here. here. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Hard to tell. I I think...
0: Papa mustered the little energy she had. We did some hand exercises. She couldn't talk, but she mirrored me. I made out the hints of a smile. I wrote a letter to her. I pulled it from my pocket and leaned in close. Dear Papa, I am so thankful that we've had so much time on this earth together. That you've been Papa is the family matriarch. All of our relatives in the States, she helped get them here. She came to Oakland from China 75 years ago. She was 21 and just married. I've asked Papa a few times over the years if I could interview her. I don't know much about her early life. Part of that's because there's a language barrier between us. But when I'd ask, she'd always push back. My aunts would translate. Why do you want to know about my life? My life is not good. I lost my mom at a very young age, then lost my husband in the middle and then lost my children near the end. Wanting to build a better life for our family. I get why she feels that way. Papa was a widow, raising four young kids on her own. And in the last seven years, two of those kids have died. My mom first in 2013, and my uncle Galen two years later. Papa endured so much living here. As a young single mother, she worked summers on the assembly line of a canned peach factory. She mopped up blood as a hospital housekeeper. She was a seamstress at a sweatshop. Lint would come out of her nose when she sneezed. I wrote this letter because I wanted to prove to her that it was all worth it. That I'd make it worth it and my mom and Uncle Galen with me because all of you are a part of me. I love you so, so much, Maya. When people die, it's like their stories go with them, especially the ones they kept to themselves, their past relationships, regrets, doubts. I never got the chance to tape conversations with my mom before she got sick, and the older I get, the more I realize how much of her I never got to know. That's why I started recording.
1: Papa, now I can hear you. Oh, who
0: are you taping? I thought you were recording yourself. I'm just recording all of us. Oh, oh no, us. I can Papa there. fell asleep. My aunts waved me over to the living room floor. They'd pulled out a bunch of old photos. Some of them I'd never seen before. I picked up a Polaroid from the 70s. Uncle Galen and my aunts were hanging out in a back patio. Wait, you? You guys are so trendy. What is this? You look so stylish. Where are we? It was kind of comforting, sitting with my aunts at the foot of my dying grandmother's bed, surrounded by a sea of pictures.
1: This must have been when we went there and I put my fur coat on their bed in the bedroom. And their dog
0: ate it. <laughs> what? He chewed what? it up. He chewed it up. Oh my God. There was an old black and white photo from the 50s. Yeah. Papa and her four <laughs> children are standing in front of a sparse Christmas tree. What kind of Uncle Galen's tree? pants reach all the way to his chest. Papa bought the kids oversized clothes so they'd last longer. I looked at Galen's face, and he was the only one in the picture not smiling. Then, my auntie Esther, the oldest and more soft-spoken one, asked me a question. What did you know about Uncle Galen growing up? What did you know about Uncle Galen growing up? What did I know about Uncle Galen? He never, he never really lived here when we he were here. Huh? Yeah, that's true. Out of the four kids, Galen was the second youngest and the only boy. He lived in L.A., so I didn't see him much growing up. It kind of seemed like our family saw him as the one without a real job. And then I heard, I used to hear, like, stories about, like, the mischief he got into. Like, I feel like I remember a story about, um, did he, like, put gum on, like, a teacher's chair or something in school?
1: <laughs> he got in trouble at school for sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he got in trouble at school for sure, Joanne said. She laughed. I got the sense that there were a lot of stories like that. Too many to tell. I actually lived with Galen in L.A. for a couple months after college in 2011. But I didn't really know him know him. He was pretty frail. I knew he only had one kidney, but I didn't know why. He was trying to be an actor or screenwriter every day he spent hours hunched over his laptop. I think he told me he was writing a script for a new detective sitcom. I got the feeling that things weren't really happening for him. He seemed pretty broke at the time. I knew my parents sent him money every month and that he drove their old cars. I imagined his career might be a sensitive subject, so I didn't bring it up. When did he move to LA? Um, Maybe a year or so after he got out of incarceration. Wait, well, he was in jail? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? We went through a lot. <laughs> we went through a lot, Auntie Esther whispered. Before I could ask what she meant, Esther pointed to Papa, motioning like I was being too loud. My poor mom, my poor mom. Sorry, I didn't. She said, my poor mom, my poor mom. I pushed for more info, but I could feel them starting to retreat, trying to change the subject. The only thing they'd say is that Galen moved to L.A. to get a fresh start, that he was running from something. But they wouldn't tell me what. Yeah,
1: there's a lot that you don't know about Uncle
0: Galen. There's a lot you don't know about Uncle Galen, Joanne said. Of my two aunts, she's the more direct one. And I got the feeling she maybe knew more than she was letting on. Then, without saying a word, Auntie Esther went into the other room, and came back with this old cardboard box.
1: But these are his screenplays.
0: That... Oh wow! And I can't bear to throw them away, but I don't really want to keep them. I want to read them. Can I read them? The box was hefty. Inside were a pile of screenplays with beige covers. Esther told me they're mostly action movies. Joanne called them kind of gangstery. But no one's ever really read them. Oh, yeah, this it's is Gangster. Yeah, Gangster. Stuff. Yeah. This is starts an exterior shot in Chinatown on Christmas Eve, and it's nighttime. Suddenly, Papa moved. Mm-hmm. I don't think she could have heard us, but both my aunts looked anxious, like they shouldn't have been talking about Galen. We set the scripts down and gather around her bed.
1: You okay, Mom? okay?
0: Are you okay? Papa died the next day. We buried her next to my grandfather. Before they closed the casket, my aunts placed my letter on her chest. At the cemetery, one by one, each of us stepped forward to bow three times. As the youngest, I walked up first. Then my cousins, Auntie Joanne, and then Esther. In the days after Papa's funeral, I started to think about what it was like when my mom died seven years ago. I was 24. I didn't know it at the time, but I was lost. Once, I called my dad at the house and the machine picked up. It was my mom's voice. The same greeting from when I was a kid. Stu, Louise, and Maya aren't here to answer your call. Leave a message and we'll get back to you. I hadn't heard her voice in months. She couldn't speak at the end of her life. I'd sit next to her and have one-sided conversations. I'd think, just please say something. One last thing I can hold on to. But she didn't. She couldn't. After that day, I never called the house again. And for the next two years, I didn't talk about my mom to anyone. My roommates and most of my friends had no idea she'd even died. Every birthday or anniversary, my family would share their happiest memories of my mom. But I was not happy. I put on a false smile. I didn't want them to worry. When my uncle Galen died two years later, I didn't want to deal with another death, so I didn't tell anyone about him either. After Galen's memorial service, I came home and hid the program away in a drawer. That was 2015, and in a strange way, Galen's box of screenplays kind of felt like a second chance to not hide his stuff in a drawer. I laid out Galen's screenplays on the floor. I don't know a whole lot about Hollywood, but there were names on the covers that I vaguely recognized. United Talent Agency, William Morris. The first one I flipped through seemed like a buddy cop movie. The macho one-liners made my eyes roll. Hey Harry, what'd you get the old lady for Christmas?
2: Lingerie, Flanagan. That's her favorite. Hell, you mean your favorite?
0: Then there was a comedic satire. It's titled Commercial Movie. In the script, supermodel Tyra Banks and American idol contestant William Hung play themselves. The premise is that a biological attack makes the whole world lose its sense of taste. I can't taste my
2: beer. I can't taste my 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 beer. <laughs> I can't taste my beer.
0: Then I picked up a screenplay with a cover note that instantly set it apart from the rest. Just two sentences in the center of the page. The The majority majority of incidents incidents and characters characters of of this story story are real. real.
2: Their Their names names have been changed to protect the guilty.
0: The script's called It's All in the Game. I skimmed ahead, and I find it very hard to believe that any of the incidents and characters in this story could actually be real, It's set in Oakland, but it looked nothing like the Oakland where I grew up. It's full of gangsters and dealers. The main character's a guy named Billy, a quote, good-looking American-born Chinese man in his 30s. Billy's caught up in some bad stuff. He's a drug addict who gets in shootouts and knife fights, but he's also in love with a beautiful Filipina lounge singer, and the two of them just wanna get out of this life. It was all a bit dramatic, But then, I got to page 21.
2: Interior, Chun Sing Cathay Funeral Home, night. Billy at seven, makes his way towards his father's open casket. A small group of Chinese paid whalers, old women dressed in all white, flank the casket. The wretched stink of the smoldering jawsticks and incense engulf the viewing room with smoke. Along the casket are offerings to the deceased. The carcass of a whole barbecued pig, a steamed chicken with its head still attached, and other similar dishes. Billy's aunt, old and frail, goes to him.
1: You man of house now, ah, Billy. You be good boy. Make your mommy proud. Give offering to father.
2: Billy's aunt gives Billy a small white envelope. Billy looks over at his mother, sitting in the family viewing section. A young, scared, and still innocent Billy gets up to his father's casket. He opens a small white envelope and pulls out a dime. He takes the dime in his right hand and sticks the offering in his father's mouth.
0: The dime. I heard something about that once. Something my mom told me about my grandfather's funeral. I couldn't remember it very well, so I asked my Auntie Joanne, who's the youngest of the siblings, if she knew anything about it. You mentioned something about the funeral. Did he have to participate? Like, what was the funeral like? Galen and I sat in the back rows of the uh,
1: mortuary. And at some point, we had to go up and place a dime on Dad's chest. And we went up together, and when we did that, we swear to God, he raised his chest. I mean, he raised up, and it freaked Galen out, and it freaked me out. I didn't see it as much as he did,
0: but he really believes that he raised up to Galen. Galen was seven years old when his dad died, the same age as the character Billy in the screenplay. And supposedly, my grandfather told Galen before he died that now Galen had to be the man of the house— just like Billy's auntie says in the script. But looking at the rest of it, Billy doesn't seem anything like my Uncle Galen. For one, he's a crack addict, like at rock, rock bottom.
2: Look at yourself.
0: (laughs) Fucking junkie motherfucker. You don't even give a shit, do you? You traded everything you've owned for that fucking crap. Billy and his friends threaten these big-time drug dealers then steal their supply.
2: Kiss the ground, do it now! Raoul gets up instead. Fine, I'll make you do it. A quick flurry of punches and a couple of hard-hitting tie kicks takes him down. Crazy Six kicks him hard in his little fat gut.
1: He said do it now, fat fuck! What you looking at,
0: huh? You wanna die? Then there's this other scene. It's a flashback where a Chinese gang leader forces Billy to murder his childhood friend. Billy, why? Please don't kill me. We were friends at one time. Seeing how over-the-top this screenplay is, it just didn't seem possible any of it could be real. But I didn't know why my uncle would make that claim. Maybe it was just for the intrigue. I mean, it worked on me. But from what Auntie Joanne told me, their father's funeral wasn't the only real-life memory that matched up with Galen's script. He was doing drugs, and he wanted to stop doing drugs, and he just wanted a clean start. Joanne told me that Galen was in a Chinese gang, and the crime he got locked up for was attempted extortion. Then she added one more thing at the end of our interview, that there were things Galen tried to tell her when he was dying.
1: I know Galen did things that he was not proud of at all and very regretful about. And I didn't want to know the, the circumstances of it. I really didn't want to know.
0: Do you think he wanted to talk about it? He wanted to to me, and I didn't want to
1: hear it. Yeah. And I just tried to reassure him, whatever he did, that he's been forgiven and that he has moved on from that type of life. And that he didn't need to worry about that.
0: Clearly, there was a lot I didn't know about Uncle Galen. So I decided to Google him. I typed in his name, Galen Ewan, and the first thing that popped up was his IMDb page. There were way more acting credits than I expected, 26 of them to be exact. He was low-life number one in Kindergarten Cop. He did two Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. He was even in a film written and directed by the legendary Werner Herzog. Then he's got writing credits, too, all from the 90s. One's a made-for-TV movie about the L.A. riots. Another is an episode of the TV show called Vanishing Sun. The last one is a feature film from 1997 called Crazy Six. Immediately, I recognized that name. It's one of the main characters and It's All in the Game, the screenplay Galen claimed was based on true events. That's when I realized, holy shit, my uncle's movie actually got made. But the synopsis for Crazy Six looks nothing like my uncle Galen's screenplay. I mean, the plot's the same, but the details are totally different. It doesn't take place on the streets of Oakland. It's set in Slovakia. Instead of Chinese gangsters fighting over the cocaine trade, it's, I don't know, a drug addict stealing plutonium from arms dealers? It seems like none of the actors are Asian, and the main character, Billy, isn't this badass Chinese-American antihero. He's a pitiful drug addict, played by Rob Lowe. I want to stop smoking rock
1: real bad.
0: Is Roblo supposed to be my Uncle Galen? Parks and Rec Roblo? West Wing Roblo?
1: Are you sure you want me around?
0: I looked up reviews for Crazy Six, and they're vicious. Its audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 21%. At best, people called it boring, crappy, and dull. At worst, they used words like disaster, miserable, and horrendous. It broke my heart to see people shooting down my uncle's work. I wanted to tell them, if only you knew there's a real person behind this movie. It's bad enough to have your work get rewritten in Hollywood. But if Galen really did pour his own life into that story... If he really did go through all that stuff, drugs, gang violence, lost love, then what happened with Crazy Six would be all the more tragic. It all became clear. I needed to figure out what in this script was real. And did any of it have to do with what he wanted to confess to Auntie Joanne on his deathbed? This season on Magnificent Jerk you know there's a part of him that's
1: really nice and then there's another part that when you get on the wrong side of him he's like total nutso from what i recall he extorted a kid there was kind of a dark side to him uh, a moodiness i think he kind of was in love with me in a way the script is actually a story of his hurt inside. How does Rob Lowe make that character
2: sympathetic? Rob Lowe?
0: Yes. Oh. Yes, Rob Lowe.
2: Wow. So we did quite a rewrite.
0: <laughs> Magnificent Jerk is an Apple original podcast produced by Pineapple Street Studios. It's written and hosted by me, Maya Lynn Sugarman. Our senior producers are James Kim and Eric Menel. Our producers are Melissa Akiko Slaughter and Maria Robbins Somerville. Our editors are Darby Maloney and Joel Lovell. Our senior engineers are Davy Sumner and Marina Pais. Mixing by Davy Sumner. Original music by Hannes Brown and Matthew Wong. Pineapple's head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija. Production assistance from Grace Chen, Himia Freeman, Gabe Kawugale, Liz O'Malley, and Kristen Torres. Our cover art is by Joan Wong. Language and translation help from Judy Lay. It's All in the Game was written by Galen Ewan. The fiction in this episode is performed by Jesse Kwai, Patrick Ipp, Andrew Allen Abadia, Jerry Ng, Grace Lin, Tony D'Amato, and Robert Garova. Special thanks to Ellen Connell, Leela Day, Josh Lindgren, Chrissy Marin, Chloe Prasinos, Asha Saluja, Yowei Shaw, Stuart Sugarman, and Aaron Williams. James Kim and I are executive producers. The executive producers from Pineapple Street are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Thanks for listening.